You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, and thank you for joining me for The Scoop with Tanya Flanagan. I'm so happy you decided to wake up and start your day with me. Here on The Scoop, where we talk about life, joy, funny moments, trending topics, and so much more. We promise to keep you in the know and find out what you know. So, let's get started. Good morning, good morning, Las Vegas, and welcome to another fabulous edition of The Scoop with me, Tanya Flanagan. I'm so excited to be with you this first Sunday in November to talk with a very dear friend of mine, a colleague, and someone I respect greatly. Um, I'm excited to welcome to the show Dr. Carmen Jones. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, Tanya. Good to be with you. Thank you for taking some time out of your week into and getting it started here with me, I hope you have a nice uh, cup of coffee or you've had some tea and um, enjoying the fall weather. It is, it's been so beautiful outside. It's just been amazing. It has. And, yes, it is early, and that is early for me. But here I am, happy to talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, on some other editions of the show, I've often mentioned to you guys I love to do kind of what I call a – uh, man on the streets or woman on the streets. And the opportunity with that is to pull sort of the unsung heroes who are in our community into the spotlight and introduce you to someone that you might otherwise not necessarily hear about, but the value of knowing them is priceless. And um, for me, Dr. Jones is one of those people. She is by um, degree and practice a pediatrician. And I say by degree in practice because she's done a number of things. You've done a number of things that are um, so commendable, um, so unselfish, and so for the good of, of humankind in the medical field. And so I just wanted to talk today about how you got started, um, why you chose pediatrics, but how that's evolved because you have your footprint in um, this new cannabis space. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how you got your career started. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Share with the audience, you know, your story, who you who you are, who are you? All right. Well, um, as you mentioned, my training is in pediatrics. I actually graduated from medical school in 1991. And the story is very easy of how I became a pediatrician. Um, just you know, normal medical school rounds, I learned very early on that I could speak child and parent and that I was better at it than the other doctors were around me that were working, uh, even teaching me. And I, uh, I guess I just learned that I had these good communication skills, not to mention, um, you know, all of us that are in medical school are very um, focused and a uh, little type A. And so that combination um, made a good choice for me. And I enjoy it. I still practice pediatrics even today. 
Um, however, probably around 2012, um, I was asked by a colleague, oh, let me back up just a little bit. I'm originally from Chicago, so I've been here in Las Vegas um, practicing for, um, I've been here for 21 years now, actually just made 21 years. So around 2012, I know, time flies. Um, around 2000, yeah, I, I was actually working still as a pediatrician around that time, 2012. A colleague I ran into, ironically, at the dentist um, had been talking to me about work she was doing in the, at that time, burgeoning cannabis industry. It was approved by the state medically at the time, but this is pre-adult use or what we call recreational use. So we were Mm -hmm. still needing to certify people to get their medical cards. And this particular doctor friend um, needed help with coverage. She couldn't make uh, a particular clinic hour and asked if I would be able to fill in for her. And I was intrigued. I wasn't quite sure about it. I knew very little. I actually ended up calling my attorney and said, can I do this? You know, what's the status? How does this work? And as it turns out, um, in the process that we have in the state of Nevada, um, not unlike other states, it's, uh, it requires the patient to be seen by a physician and make sure that they qualify for the conditions set forth by the legislature. Um, that would approve a patient to use cannabis as medicine. <clears throat> so I started helping her out, uh, was uh, doing pediatrics part-time and doing this business uh, practice part-time. And um, about a year later, you know, I was still doing it. And at that time, you could have your license for a year. You would have to come back and renew it every year. And people were returning to the office in tears, literally saying, thank you for doing this. My life has been changed. Now, mind you, I get a lot of satisfaction taking care of children. And, and a lot of people think, oh, pediatrics, oh, the baby's so cute. But pediatrics goes from, you know, zero to 18, sometimes 21. And while I found that and still find it, you know, very um, – Satisfying, no one's ever said to me, thank you for doing this. My life has been changed. And so I, along the way, had been educating myself, reading, learning, and also, I may say, learning from the patients, because a lot of this was still considered sort of, I guess I want to say underground, even though it was legal in the state, you know, the stigma was still quite there. And um, I found it interesting that I saw all walks of life coming in, not only, um, I don't know, at the time there were people who believed that this was sort of a side door so that people can just get high. And I found it to be Mm -hmm. actually the absolute opposite of that. There were people who were coming in who were, addicted to opiates and desperate to get off, a lot of them being veterans, a lot of patients who had either adverse reactions to some of their pain medicines and needed an alternative, patients who had 
um, horrible, horrible stories of, um, I don't know, just many medical uh, mishaps, medical issues that were serious. And these patients were finding relief and being able to function a lot more efficiently in their lives with the cannabis than they were without. And so I kind of realized, hey, this is, this is really something I need to keep looking into. And if we fast forward to, um, you know, a few years after that time, in 2018, I left that practice and started my own business. And I call it Wildflower Medical Consultants. And I have been continuing that work, but focusing it more on probably patients with pretty, pretty complicated medical conditions. And partly because once the recreational or adult use dispensaries opened up, I found that everyone seemed to think that they were an expert in the field. And while patients didn't necessarily realize that it was necessary to continue to see the doctor, um, they thought they could just walk in and talk to the uh, person behind the counter called a bud tender. They would tell them what to use. I still to this day oppose that notion. Yes, they have some knowledge about the plant and the um, uh, maybe some of the ways that patients can use it, but they are not physicians. Those are salespeople and product specialists. So I do not believe that they should be giving advice at all to anyone about. So that makes um, me. How to use it medically. How to use it. I have a I have a question for you in that space. So, is there are, are you noticing that um, the medical community is responding to patients' needs? Like, are there enough doctors moving into this area to actually meet, see patients, uh, assess their health, and then point them in the direction before they go off to buy the products? Because I know what you're saying. Like, you can go into a store. You talk about what's bothering you, and then the person who's there is helping um, a client pick out a product um, intended to help them whatever the ailment is, but there's the, the missing factor that maybe that person never saw a doctor to really talk about right. what the correlation should be. So what you've just brought up is the crux of the whole medical system. Uh, sorry, medical marijuana mm. system. And I want to clarify something. When I say the word cannabis, I'm not referring only to what people call marijuana. I'm referring to the entire genus and species of the plant, which includes both the quote-unquote marijuana version and the hemp version. And both have medicinal value, but what you asked me is actually part of the confusion. Because, yes, people will ask you, well, what do you need it for when you walk in there? And then they will offer you an option. What they don't do is know your medical history. So, for instance, it's very common for someone to walk in uh, to a dispensary and ask them for, oh, yeah, I have back pain. So the first thing they'll do is, oh, take this for pain. But what they don't know is that patient also has diabetes, kidney failure, and lupus or something, you know, else. 
and how that would all interact with the current medicines they're taking. Okay, so now with that being said, my colleagues in the medical industry have been very slow and very reluctant to educate themselves for a number of reasons. Um, One is a very common reason. They are afraid of their licenses being threatened. They may not have taken the steps that I did to consult with, you know, their attorney to find out what their limitations were. And they are simply, um, you know, they just don't know. That's number one. Number two, they didn't want to talk about it because they've been so indoctrinated, like everyone in, well, many in the world even, not just our country, but have been so indoctrinated to believe it to be bad. And we have come quite a long way in our society in these last 10, 12 years since I've been in the industry to continue to try and dispel that myth. So there are doctors that will just simply say, oh, I'll sign your paper, but they won't teach them because they don't know how. And problem number three is most of the doctors that are out there just signing a paper that says they can be a medical patient don't know that I exist doing this. And while I have you know, try different avenues of reaching out to them. Um, uh, My colleagues are still very slow to comply. And so my thought is that very soon um, people will be recognizing the cannabis medicine physician as a subspecialty, just like cardiology, gastroenterology. We are, we, meaning those of us in the medical cannabis industry, are trying to identify ourselves now as something called endocannabinologists. And do you think that in that vein, do you think that it would be, is it something that people think of from um, the holistic side of health, of, of healthcare or healthcare approaches, because it is based from a plant, from an herb, from a, is there any correlation there to like it being part of a holistic yeah, yes, absolutely, definitely a correlation. The only problem is um, with, well, there's a couple. <clears throat> so almost all medications were formed or formulated from a plant. Um, the problem or the difference is in how do you scientifically measure the effectiveness of the plant? And mm, some plants are straightforward, you know, you uh, break it down and you get this product from it, you know, um, and it's so it's a, you know, cause and effect. But some plants like cannabis are very complex, meaning they have multiple chemical profiles and literally millions of combinations. Um, and so therefore that puts it more on the holistic side because it's so difficult to study and isolate each chemical. Within the plant, we know now there's well over 140 what they call cannabinoids. Those are the large molecules. Um, The one you know most commonly or that people know most commonly is called THC. Um, That's the chemical in the plant that causes the euphoric feeling that people get. Then the most, the next most common one that people have heard of is CBD. Um, and that, of course, became all the rage when the Farm Bill released 
uh, its hold on hemp in 2018. You saw all these CBD stores popping up, and now that's the holy grail. But it's just not the extent of the story. Not just those two chemicals are only two of many. Uh, I haven't even spoken of the minor cannabinoids called terpenes. Um, that also have medicinal value. So there's a, it's quite complicated. And I will tell you, I am learning still every day uh, something new because in July of 2022, President Biden signed a bill allowing uh, for cannabis to now be researched more, um, researched in the United States. Prior to that, almost all of our research was coming out of Israel and Canada. So um, it's so timely that you said that. It's so timely that you said that because the question that was in my mind when you said it was, how are we going about in the medical community across the professionals who might have an interest, uh, or maybe we're reluctant at some point to service people, but there are doctors like yourself. How are they researching to understand? I think you said what 140 cannabinoids um, yeah. to really research the benefits, who should get it, what ailments a person has. And then that brings me to people, because when you see medical studies, people participate in medical studies so that doctors can draw conclusions. So is there anything happening on that front? That, that research aspect is slow to take off. The particular aspect of involving um, uh, live patients is slow. So right now, the majority of the research is being done in the lab. Um, because it remains illegal federally, or uh, more specifically, a yeah. Schedule One drug, Schedule One on the um, DEA list uh, classifies it as uh, harmful, addictive, with no medical value. We all know that's not true. The reason that marijuana was ever placed on the Schedule One, along with heroin, LSD, ecstasy, is all very political. And for anyone who's really interested in the history of cannabis in our country, there are a number of easy YouTube videos that they can just pull up. Uh, just Google history of cannabis in America or period, cannabis period, and they will uh, there will be plenty of explanation. I won't go into that part now, but I will say that there's, there are a number of researchers working very hard to uncover the mysteries of this plant in a scientific way that would be expect, um, would be um, appreciated and rely, become reliable to my fellow, you know, medical professionals. And also, um, there are a number of bills going through uh, the, uh, well, theoretically <laughs> going through the United States Congress now. There are different bills at different stages. And we have actually some leaders right here in Nevada that are helping to push those things through. Um, and that, uh, you, you, you I, are I, so, like, reading my mind because my, my next thought was, You've had a front row seat to a lot of, you know, what's going on and how this is evolving. Your take on how we're doing here, because since 2012, and I know you have sat on advisory boards 
um, as we were forming um, guidelines, if you will, around cannabis, um, businesses, use, sale, accessibility, and all of the things that go into this, into this um, this place, this, this picture. But you've had a front row seat. So how do you think we're doing in terms of protocols that we're putting in place um, as a state from a political guideline or business guideline? I would call that a loaded question. Um, and the only reason I say that is because uh, from the inception of the adult use or recreational use in the state, yes, what you're referring to is I was one of the uh, one of the um, people who sat on the green ribbon panel to start to initiate uh, recommendations for the state law to be put into place for cannabis to be sold, you know, like a retail store and dispensaries. Um, and I think that what has changed is I don't think that the lawmakers, um, nor frankly anyone, thought that it would be as successful of a venture as it was. I believe our first year, um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I believe that the, the state collected over a billion dollars um, in terms of sales and taxes for the cannabis industry, which rival uh what happened with Colorado. I mean, I think what happened is the money got good and people started making a lot of it and because of that the medical program that was in place pre dating this recreational use um started to suffer. Uh some numbers on that, like for instance in Florida, they have like five hundred thousand people in their medical program to our maybe 20,000 now. Um, so mm -hmm. different states set for different guidelines and laws based on what they value. And so Nevada has, I think, a little more work to do in valuing the program because, again, remember, these are, these are longstanding stereotypes that um, uh, we are trying to break. And while there are a lot of people who are using it medically and not in the medical program, um, they gave the impression to the state, well, we didn't, we don't need this. They could just walk in and buy it. Forgetting that there's a component that's necessary, which is the physician patient relationship. Um, is it like we're our own? We're, so is it like we're, we're our own? Antagonists and protagonists in that here we are, we're this state where medically we made some strides and we're having this conversation, but we are a destination that provides entertainment and recreation at a level that in, in many ways is really unparalleled anywhere else. So now you add Correct. the cannabis industry to the mix and there's the the balance of recreational access because of the legalization and medicinal um, need regulation management, if you will, in the same space and the bumping of heads, because we talked about earlier, walking into a store and just saying, hey, sure, on the one hand, there's the recreational purchaser. And on the other hand, there's the person who has back pain or leg pain or migraine or whatever. 
So Correct. we're our own contradiction. Yeah. Right. We behaved mm-hmm. as we behave. So Nevada leaned into the entertainment portion of this complicated uh, system. I believe that we will, as a country, get to the place where it is no longer on the schedule. Um, there are plenty of interests, uh, meaning big pharma, big business, who want to control that industry. And the little guy, the artisan, the small mom and pop, if you will, are trying to hang on by their fingernails. But, you know, that's that's just the way the world works. And so we will continue to navigate that. But if I may, I would like to move on to what my current day focus is as we are, uh, I understand, you know, under a time constraint here. I want. We are. Um, we, I, I think I want to have you. I would love to extend an invitation for you to come back and talk some more because I don't want to. Um, we are about to approach, believe it or not, having only like a few more minutes left to talk about five. And I want to invite you to come back and continue talking about this and then going into what you're into now. So can we tease them and can we talk about it some more next Yes. Time? Yes, I okay. can see Let's give a little tease. I would love to have you back, and we'll just continue the conversation um, next Sunday. So tease away. Okay. You are into uh, what now? As, yeah, so as I am doing my best to educate not only patients one-on-one, but I've given lectures, I've given, I've been invited to speak at conferences, et cetera, about educating people about cannabis and its medical benefits, uh, the, the focus started to shift when I got a call about a patient who had gotten into some legal trouble because they used cannabis. And so when I was asked to consult with that patient, it literally made my soul glow <laughs> because I realized that Um, There's probably a lot of people out there who have had a negative interaction with the criminal justice system in our country regarding cannabis. So I am in the process of creating another business model to literally be an expert witness in cases for patients who have found themselves tangled up in the criminal justice system. So that's the tease. I have a couple of cases I can present to you. When we talk again, and I hope to begin to develop relationships with the attorneys in this uh, city and state and country uh, on how to help those people so that the stigma that remains does not continue to impact people who are using this as medicine legally. You heard it here, folks. We've talked about the first part of this conversation with Dr. Carmen Jones. Join us next week. Do not miss out for part two of this extremely dynamic and interesting conversation, Dr. Carmen Jones, on cannabis. And we're going to move into her efforts to work um, as an expert witness to criminal cases involving people um, where cannabis is part of uh, the charge or the issue that they're facing in the criminal justice space. 
Carmen, we have a couple minutes left before we sign off. Do you want to share any social handles of where people can find you, follow you, hear tidbits from you? Oh, yes. Thank you for that. So I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Instagram as Wildflower Medical uh, Consultant. And the website that I have is called wildflowermedical.com. And people who might need my one-on-one consults um, and or even if you need a medical card, I can help you at the wildflowermedical.com website. People can uh, log on and uh, initiate their own uh, appointments, just like any of the other systems now. We do this virtually. And then, um, like I said, Facebook and uh, Instagram is Wildflower Medical Consultants. And I'm on a couple other places, but that, those are the most important. Thank you. Okay. Well, I, I, this has been fascinatingly interesting to me, and I hope everyone has enjoyed um, hearing so much about it. And I hope you will tune in next week to hear a bit more. It's going to be a great conversation as we continue to talk about cannabis. Dr. Carmen Jones, thank you for joining me this morning. Everyone have a great week and a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Thank you. I want to thank you for tuning in to The Scoop with me, Tanya Flanagan. And I want to invite you to get social with me. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. My name is my handle, T-A-N-Y-A-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N. You can also find me on Instagram at Tanya Almanize Flanagan. And if you have a thought, an opinion, or a suggestion, don't hesitate to shoot me an email to tanya.flanagan at unlv.edu. Thanks again for joining in. Stay safe and have a great week.